Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon. I was just wondering if you might be able to start off by telling me um, how you became interested in music and playing the cello and where did your interest in historical performance come from? Yeah, so I have a sort of non-traditional cello background. You know, many people who become professionals, they, um, you know, they start really young and they're having private lessons. I was just playing in my public school orchestra starting in the fourth grade, just once a week. It was just kind of an activity that I did. Um, mm-hmm. But in high school, I started taking private lessons. We got a great new orchestra director who encouraged us to get private lessons. And once I had private lessons, then I really... Um, I really took to the cello much more having that one-on-one instruction. So by the time I was 15, I knew I wanted to do cello for my career. I was so in love with it. So I auditioned for music schools and um, got in as a performance major and really started going all into cello. Um, but once I was in college, you know, most of the things that we do in bigger universities are like large symphony orchestra type works. And I was finding in playing all those sort of bigger symphonic works, I was really missing the smaller, more intimate sound of the Baroque ensembles and the, you know, the Brandenburg concertos and the Baroque repertoire that I had played in my string orchestra in high school, I was really missing that. Um, So we had a little Baroque ensemble at my college and I joined it and I was really fascinated by it. And what I found out was if you want to learn more about this, you should really do summer workshops and immerse yourself with real period instruments and harpsichords and lutes and all of that. So I took some summer festivals while I was in college and After my first summer of a few festivals, I knew right away, okay, this is for me. It instantly clicked. Everything about it just felt so natural to me. Um, So I knew that I wanted to really pursue the Baroque cello um, further because of just how much it resonated with me, the repertoire and the instrument. I was just wondering as well. I mean, I was going to ask you um, how you found making the transition from modern to baroque it sounds like it was actually quite a smooth transition for you I know that that's not always the case with um you know a lot of modern musicians who do make that transition I think my um the fact that I wasn't super developed as a modern cellist actually worked in my benefit because yes. by the time I had gotten to college or university I had only been studying the cello seriously for maybe two years whereas wow. most people have 10 years under their belts by the time they they arrive. So because of that, my technique, it needed a lot of work, um, but it was more flexible and easy to adapt. So when I was introduced to um, more historical techniques, I was just able to be more flexible. I actually found that the historical techniques felt better to me. But I think had I had, you know, years and years of instruction with really rigorous modern training, it would be much harder to untrain uh, all that muscle memory. So For me, it was natural, but I remember being at workshops, seeing these really fantastic modern players struggling so much to do this this different technique, whereas for me, it was supernatural. So, um, you know, it did it was some of it, I think, was just me and my own taking to the instrument. But um, it was one benefit of not having such an intense background on the cello is I was able to be more flexible in that way. Did you do postgrad early music? Then. Right. So after my bachelor's was technically a, a regular modern cello degree. Okay. Um, so, um, by the time I was 
in my last year of that degree, I got special permission to take full-time Baroque cello lessons so that I could really focus because I knew for my master's that's what I was going to be doing. And it was a little controversial at the time because I was getting a regular modern cello degree. So to get permission for historical lessons as my primary, I had to kind of go to bat for myself, but I did do it. Um, so then I was able to do a fully a Baroque recital for my undergraduate, which set me up nicely for my master's, which was an early music performance degree. Oh, that's fantastic. And I mean, how did your modern peers, I mean, how did your teachers respond when you told them that you wanted to pursue Baroque cello as your your focus were they quite um were they quite hostile or were they quite open to your decisions or it was definitely a mixed bag from different faculty members um my primary cello teacher at the time um a wonderful woman julia lichten she uh she really helped me a lot in my modern technique which needed a lot of reworking and she was very patient with yes. me, very encouraging and she saw me struggling a lot you know in the lessons and i think when she heard that I wanted to go this other route, she thought, this is great for you. And she heard me play and she even said, the way you play is so different on this instrument. You know, it's just, you're so much more yes. in your element. So she really understood. And, you know, she was my private teacher. So of course, seeing me regularly, spending a lot of time with me um, in terms of the other faculty members at the school and, you know, department chairs and all the other people who had to approve the decision. They were not quite as approving. I think for the most part, their concern was that I was sort of putting myself in a box and limiting myself by wanting to be fully dedicated to just a historical instrument. Like okay. their, their logic was it's hard enough to make a living as a musician. Why are you going to limit yourself even more? Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I always kind of know what I want to do and I do what I want to do regardless of the opposition. So I did it anyway. Um, and it ended up being fine for me. Of course, I still do different types of modern cello work. Primarily teaching is the main thing I do on modern cello mm -hmm. these days. So it's not like I never played a modern cello again. But for my performances, especially because I ended up in Boston, which is a great, um, you know, it's a great city for early music. I really was an amazing to city. Yeah, I was able to do all my performing um, in historical ensembles because I was in Boston. So it yeah. ended up being just fine for me. Yeah, oh, that, that's fantastic. And could you explain maybe some of the differences between the Baroque cello and the modern cello? So, of course, it's a cello is still a cello and we still have the same four strings. And so anyone can learn a historical instrument, but the finer details is where things really start to change. All the string instruments, the biggest thing that I think a player will notice or recognize is the different strings, um, which are gut strings on a historical instrument um, compared to our steel strings. So not only do they have a really different sound and timbre, but they have a really different response. So getting used to playing on them takes quite a while. And then the bows that we use, the historical bows, are a different shape and they're quite a bit lighter. Um, so we're able to do a, a bigger variety of articulations and really play with the gut strings, but getting used to the different weighted bow and the strings with a different response can definitely take some time. But that's really the voice of the instrument where we can, can hear such a big difference in the instrument is because of the strings and the bow. I once did a, a demonstration for a school on both of my instruments and I played them side by side. And a kid made a comment about the gut strings that I thought was perfect, which he said, 
it's scratchy in a good way. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. It's a, it's a different sound. It's a much more raw sound. Yes. Um, they're very sensitive um, to temperature and humidity um, because they're a natural material. You know, just like we're used to the wood of our instruments responding. You know, we always have to be careful if you live in a cold climate uh, where it's very dry. You have to be careful of seams opening on your on the wood part of your instrument. So the gut strings are just another natural material that respond to humidity and dryness. So you just kind of have to monitor it a little more closely. Um, but you get used to it like anything else. Yeah, yes. I think that the musicians in the Baroque period and in 17th century, 18th century, I would imagine that, you know, <laughs> that actually the conditions that they were playing in were perhaps less than ideal and I think yeah, things would have been quite raw and rough around the edges and like you said I think that's part of the charm isn't it about the whole historical movement isn't it yeah absolutely I think there's a misconception that um, people who want to play things in a historically informed fashion are therefore more elitist and they care more about rules and they care you know but it's actually not like that it's kind of going back to the basics and taking away all the rules of the 20th century when we really institutionalized classical music um when we go to the historical approach yes we have to learn some more things and dig a little deeper but actually by learning those things we kind of free ourselves of some of the more modern conventions that we've learned um so yeah i, I really do think it is a little bit more raw actually to play the historical way the whole idea around the historical performance movement is understanding the context in which these pieces were written. And there's a whole cultural context around this music um, that we lose a little bit when we get too much about the score and about following those kinds of rules. So what I like to think of, you know, the dance rhythm, dance was a huge part of um, the world culture. And it was a huge part of what music was about was dancing. So when we actually learn these dances and we understand you know, what made these dances move, um, then we can inform our musical decisions and we don't need the score marked up with so many dynamics and this yes. and that. We actually can understand what the composer was thinking about when he was writing this piece and therefore that informs our musical phrasing much more. We talk about these great Baroque composers, you know, Handel, Bach, Vivaldi, we put them on pedestals and actually they were humans at the end of the day and remembering I think that human aspect as well of the music and like you were saying earlier you know going back to the the basics of what the whole idea of this music was about. Right exactly so when I did my master's program for example I learned all sorts of things that really informed the music so one of the things that we did was take an actual Baroque dance class where we would read the historical dance steps and learn them ourselves. So when you actually physically feel it in your body, you realize that, oh, I can't rush my, this third beat because if I rush this third beat, the dancer won't arrive on the downbeat at the right time. Yes. So things like that, that when you're detached from the context, you don't really think about it and you'll go ahead and rush things or you'll do things because they sound cool, but you won't really understand how it all fits together. So actually learning the dance steps and doing things like that um, kind of puts you more in the composer's shoes and helps things make a lot more sense musically. These are all things that you you impart on your YouTube channel, um, Emily Plays Cello. And I think it's a really, really great way for you to communicate this quite niche area of music to a wider audience. And why do you think it's important for you to share early music with a wider audience? I mean, why did you 
set up your channel? So I have a real connection to this music, obviously. It's just, I feel like I love it so much. And I, I am surprised that classical music in general is not better integrated into our culture and our regular everyday life. You know, classical music gets kind of in its own little category, you know, including early music and world music. And I always felt that if it were more accessible to people, if it were, if they didn't have to buy tickets and go to a concert, which is a great thing to do, but the average person might not, that might not be their lifestyle, or they may have never gone to a classical concert, so they might not think to do that. By putting it on a place like YouTube, it just makes it so much more accessible for the average person to find it, discover it, get immersed in it. And for me, because I was doing the historical playing, it was worth showing my instrument. It was a great opportunity for even people who maybe knew a little bit about classical music to learn much deeper by showing my historical instrument and the way that I play it and explaining why it's played differently. Um, I find that people are actually very curious and very open-minded but you have to give them the information in a way that they can receive that doesn't alienate them with, you know, really advanced vocabulary, but that just invites them to sort of take in some music on their own level, however they want, and then teach them a little bit about it. And I found a lot of success in doing that and found, wow, people are really interested in this. Um, and so I just kind of kept building it from there. Had you had you taught a lot of um, Baroque cello before doing um, your YouTube channel? So actually, when I started my channel, I had been teaching regular modern cello, but I hadn't actually taught any lessons just because there are only so many people studying on historical instruments. And a lot of times they are, you know, already professional musicians who are looking to expand what they're able to do. Yes. So I did not have any um, any students for that at the time. So I just decided, you know, why don't I put up some videos teaching it to anyone who's interested just on the internet, yeah. like what? And I was really surprised to see how many people were really interested in it. I've met people at various workshops and all sorts of things who said, "Hey, I watched your videos to get started in historical performance." That's, that's wonderful. How I started was with your videos. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And you know, luckily, I've made some videos that aren't just cello specific, but that are about all string instruments, so that you know, violinists and other people can learn some of the bow techniques and yes. some of the principles. Um, or even any instrument, like I have just various musical topics too, yes. um, all historically based. So yeah, I've been amazed that it's helped people start their journey learning about it. It's, you know, supplemented people who are already on their journey. And then people who are just enjoying listening to it now understand that there's, wow, there's this whole other world of classical music that I didn't even know about. I mean, I even appreciate the people who know nothing, but just like to listen to it and whether yes. or not it's historical doesn't make a difference to them you know they just like listening to it for music's sake which is great too yes it's it's so lovely that you you have such a mix of different listeners and I mean was that originally the intention of your channel to attract you know that mix or so I just wanted I wanted to share what I was doing and I didn't really have a target audience in mind I mean I did when I put up teaching videos I figured these are going to be people already studying classical music who are looking into these videos. Um, but for the performance videos of me just playing repertoire, you know, those were for anybody. And I sort of let my audience choose itself. I didn't feel like I was targeting any specific demographic. I just wanted to put it out there and see what stuck. And it's really been a, like I said, a pretty mixed bag, you know, professionals, amateurs, list, just music lovers. It's really been kind of everything, which is really nice because I don't feel like I'm trapped in one corner like, well, if I don't put up a video about ornamentation and treatises, <laughs> nobody will care. 
But at the same time, if I do put up a video about ornamentation and treatises, there are people who are going to love that. There are listeners who are going to not know what I'm talking about and just want to listen to music. So I kind of try to have a variety on my channel for that reason. So it invites a lot of people from different walks of musical life to be able to enjoy it. Yeah, you said that you were expanding your channel as well. You said that you were actually going to be focusing more on pop music now, which sounds so fascinating. So please tell me a little bit more about what that's, what's that going to involve and how did you become interested in that whole area? I mean, it's quite a big departure from, you know, early music, isn't it? Right. It is and it isn't. And I I can explain a little bit why, but so, um, and for me, that's more, I'm always going to keep the Emily Plays Cello YouTube channel um, very focused on classical music because to me, it's so important that there is a modern resource for classical music out there, both, you know, historical and non-historical. Just making classical music more accessible is just a life goal of mine. So mm-hmm. I will always have the channel um, focused on that. For me personally, you know, my career um, changed a lot. I relocated from Boston to Los Angeles across uh, the United States about two years ago. Um, and so that was a big change for me because in Boston, I was doing so much, you know, historical performance and in Los Angeles, it's more contemporary music kind of environment. So um, there's not as many opportunities for period instrument performances and things like that out here. Um, and I was kind of interested in pop music on the side. And just a point I like to make is that pop music and Baroque music have a lot in common. Um, if you think of the Baroque principle of ground-based patterns, yes. um, some people are familiar, are basically a, re- a repeating chord progression of either you know, two different chords or four different chords, but a basically a repeating progression, which is how all pop music basically operates now. Yes. Um, so um, there are just a lot of musical similarities. Actually, after the Baroque period, as we got into more classical and romantic, is when classical music got a lot more elaborate, and the harmonies got a lot more developed, and the orchestrations really expanded. So um, later music doesn't resonate with pop music quite as much, but um baroque music and even some some late renaissance but mostly baroque really is similar forms to pop music um so i sort of on the side took up pop songwriting and production i was sort of doing it in addition to my cello stuff um and just now that i'm located in los angeles there's been a lot more opportunities for me to explore that um further so i've been doing more of that just kind of alongside of my continued cello classical work Because for me, I'm always going to want to give back to the classical community. It's just I feel really passionately about it and about spreading the knowledge around. So that'll always be something I do. Um, But just with my kind of change in lifestyle from relocating, I've now ended up doing a lot more kind of outside of the classical realm as well. Yeah. So are you a singer then as well? Do you write your own songs or is it more kind of instrumental music or... So it's both. I, I am, I guess you could call me a singer songwriter. You know, I don't really, I don't identify as a singer, you know, instrumentalist. We're very serious about our instruments, you know, all the hours that we're <laughs> practicing our instruments. Yes. So I think um, in my mind, I am always an instrumentalist. That's okay. kind of where I came from. Um, but for the purposes of writing songs and stuff like that, I do use my voice and, and sing and, you know, and, I had to take ear training classes and do sight singing and all that stuff. So I've, yes. I've learned how to use my voice a bit. Um, but, you know, I've also worked with some of the greatest classical singers in the country. And I, I have so much respect for a truly trained singer. Oh, um, yes. Which is, I, I think, why I'll never quite call myself a singer is I know what a singer can be. 
exactly. don't think everyone who uses their voice is necessarily a singer, uh, but some might disagree about that. That's just my own opinion. What's your style of pop music that you write then? Is it kind of, um, you know, is it is it kind of like crossover or...? So it's actually not very crossover, though so many people ask me, um, especially just in the pop sphere, ask me about combining cello with what I'm doing. And I have, that's one thing, um, being out where I am now, there's a lot of opportunities to collaborate with people making music. And so many people love to have cellos, you know, in their songs, even singer-songwriters or whatever. The cello is just a favorite instrument always. Yes. Um, so I have ended up using my cello in a lot of... Um, stuff which sort of gives it more of a more like kind of acoustic kind of vibe when a cello is is in a song my own personal music that I make believe it or not a lot of it is electronic so I do play oh. guitar too um so I'm finding different ways to incorporate my guitar playing my cello playing yeah um the electronic element which is usually like the drums um so the stuff that I do is very contemporary popular music so um it's there's a reason that I don't kind of merge the two projects right away because yeah. I really do want my cello stuff to stay in the classical realm or at least for there always to be a strong classical presence you know there are lots of and nothing against them at all but there are lots of you know like two cellos is an example of a big YouTube channel um, there's like a lot of groups that are doing classical instruments but playing popular music on classical instruments which I think is great because it turns people on to instruments that they may not have heard but for me personally, if I'm playing my classical instrument, I want to play classical repertoire. And if I'm working on my popular music, I may or may not need my classical instrument. So for me, they're a little bit distinguished from each other, um, just because I really want to keep my classical stuff representing classical music to the world. That's just really important to me. Yes, yes, definitely. You are probably aware that actually now, you know, it's really interesting that there are lots of composers now who are writing they're writing very modern music for period instruments and they're using electronics as well and they're using technology and so I think that's a really really cool avenue and is that something that maybe you're going to go down that route? I definitely think it's really interesting I've met a lot of people actually at various workshops and schools and stuff that are people who do historical performance and then they do new music, like contemporary classical music. Yes. They, don't, they don't do a lot in between. Like they kind of are on each extreme avenue. And I, I think it's because there is a lot in common actually with those approaches. Yes, um, definitely. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's great. The idea of, you know, modern composers using historical instruments because it supports the same principle of like, let's get these, more obscure instruments that people are not as used to seeing and hearing let's get them more in the public eye let's get people hearing a hurdy-gurdy or you know some crazy instrument they've never heard before I think that's great um for me personally it's just not um it's not an area where I have a lot of like knowledge contemporary classical yeah um I think it's wonderful I just think for me all the historical stuff that I've done has all been kind of staying within that realm of repertoire. Yeah. Something that I also really wanted to ask you was about your use of social media too. I mean, we'd just been talking about your YouTube channel, but you're very active as well on all the other channels as well. And I just wanted to ask, you know, with your YouTube and social media, do you see that as a very important part of your career? Is that a way for you to, to generate 
income or is it um is it a way for you to to promote yourself as an artist and um to to reach a wider audience maybe it's a combination of all those things i mean obviously social media is now becoming a, a massive thing for musicians these days so yeah i think it's i personally i built my career around social media and not everyone in classical music has done that in fact very few have but yes. i think it's coming a new real avenue if you're I have an entrepreneurial mindset. If you're a self-driven person, it's a really, really great avenue that I, I hope to inspire more people to explore. And I, I do, um, just this past year, I started offering social media consulting to actually help classical musicians sort of learn how to use these tools to their advantage because um, social media in and of itself doesn't necessarily get you anything. But what it does is it helps you develop a fan base and people who are interested and invested in you so that when you do a legitimate project, for me, those were self-produced albums. Like I have two solo albums and then one duet album, all that I actually recorded myself in my apartment. I did the audio mixing and <laughs> my brother is a mastering engineer, which is very handy. So very he helps handy, me polish yes. it up. But these days you can create and record your own music and release it yourself and you don't have to involve a label or really anybody else. It's all very doable yourself. So for me, I, when I first finished school, I needed a project. So I did an album and along with the album, I did uh, release recitals. So I was able to use social media to share about the album, share about the recitals and basically direct all this traffic of these people who are interested in me, who liked my videos to get them to actually buy my album or stream my album or come to my concerts. So the social media without the project wouldn't have done anything, but because I was creating these projects for myself, Social media allowed me to funnel people into what I was doing. And for some albums and various things, I've created fundraisers to raise money. And because I have those followers on social media who just follow me for my content, I have this built-in group of people who want to support me. And that's been vital in my career. And then, of course, there's the, you know, as you gain more followers and you have sort of more exposure on the social media platforms, you can, of course, get offered work. So I have been offered gigs and various things like that just because I have a social media following and I was found that way. So it works in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think it's an amazing tool that musicians are not taking advantage of enough, at least classical musicians, because we're not really taught about it in school. It's not considered a career path. We don't have a class in it, but um, it absolutely can be. And that's sort of why I'm trying to tell more people about it and help guide people in how to do it and how I was able to do it successfully, because I do think it is so valuable. Was it quite risky when you chose to base your career around social media? Yeah, I mean, there was, I wasn't sacrificing anything to do it. I was still teaching lessons. Yes, oh, okay. And, and concerts. And in fact, all those things that you do are what provide content for your social media. So if you're playing a concert, you can be taking photos or videos at that concert and putting them on your Instagram. So now you're mm -hmm. getting double out of your concert because... The people at your concert will see it, and then the people who follow you on Instagram will see it. So it, they feed into each other when you're doing it properly. So I found for me, you know, I was doing it kind of before a lot of people were doing it, like when Instagram first came out. So when I used to be at concerts and gigs taking photos for my Instagram, it seemed a little weird to people in the beginning. But nowadays, it's much more common, and everybody's taking pictures of everything, and everybody's posting everything. So it's, it's getting more and more normal which is why I'm encouraging more people to kind of get out of their comfort zone and do it. Yes, yes. 
social media today it's now it's actually part of the musician's job you know they have to be their own promoters too of them themselves yes definitely because you know very few of us are working with actual agents or managers or anything like that we're yeah. just kind of in charge of ourselves um and social media is made to be user friendly it's made for the average person to be able to put something up so it's it's really not as some people get a little bit like they're not sure or do they know how to do this and that, but it's all very simple once you kind of sit down and learn the basics and, um, you know, which is again why I've been helping more and more musicians doing it because anybody can put themselves out there on social media and do a good job, you know, so it's, it's absolutely worth doing. Great. I'd love to ask you, who are some of your favorite cellists? that you enjoy listening to or have been inspired by. I know that um, last week we had very sad news that Anna Bills, is Anna Bilsma? Um, yeah. He passed away. And I mean, he was a very influential figure in the historical performance movement. And um, I, I imagine that, you know, you must have listened a lot to his recordings and been inspired by him, perhaps. Yes, of course. I mean, he's a real icon, you know, for for us cellists. So that was a very sad loss. Yes. Um, and, you know, I I personally am not someone who takes a lot of influence from specific individuals, really. Um, I, my teachers have had a lot of influence on me. I studied with Phoebe Karai, um, who's on faculty at Juilliard and at Longy, where I went to school. And she's an amazing, she has a great Bach telesuite recording that I heard long before I met her. Um, so getting to study with her, it was kind of like getting to study with an icon yes. for me at the time. Um, and she taught me so much about really being truly an artist in how you play. Um, so she was a huge influence for me. And then really when it comes to early music stuff, Jordi Saval, who is, you know, he's a gamba player and a conductor. So um, he's not a cellist, but he did so much for the early music movement and through his ensembles and his own playing was really influential to me. Um, so I would say Jordi Saval is definitely one of my biggest influences. Yeah, and I love his... Um, have you had his recording of the um, the Dowland... Is it the Dowland, um, the consorts as well? Oh, I'm sure he's done that. I mean, he's... Yeah, no, he has. ensembles, yeah. Yeah, no, I've got a recording, actually, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. And like you were saying, you know, that what he's what he's done for the early music movement as well just bringing that whole not just you know with the baroque but I think also all those other influences as well you know with the folk music and I guess it comes back to that whole point of um fusing different styles which is you know what you're doing with your music so exactly and I think everything when we study music especially old music and like kind of circles back to the point I made earlier, it's all a piece of culture. And so kind of understanding the culture is what really informs the music and then understanding how cultures influence other cultures. And, you know, we hear about composers traveling from France to Italy and, and how much their music changes after they make those trips, you know, really understanding that context and, and how that influences the music. It only deepens our appreciation of what we're doing when we kind of are able to expand our scope and, and see the different influences in that way. What's next for you? What projects have you got coming up? I know that you said that you were going to be, um, you know, focusing on your, your pop music as well, but I imagine that you'll still be continuing with the, the channel. 
Yes. So the the biggest turn that my YouTube channel has taken probably in the last six months or so is I've created this platform for early music and classical music fans. And I think it was last year I passed 10,000 subscribers. So now I feel like it's a really good size audience for this repertoire specifically. Mm. Um, So what I'm really trying to do now is offer that platform to more musicians who are maybe just getting started or want to build an audience online because it's not easy to get up to 10,000, you know, 10,000 subscribers in the world of YouTube is not an enormous number, but it definitely took a lot of time and effort for me to get there. And so what I want to do is sort of share that wealth and allow, there are so many more every day I'm seeing more young people playing early music. And what I want to do is kind of show the world how many people are doing this and share more other musicians on my channel. Yes. Um, So that's a big thing that I'm really trying to do because I've got 250 videos up there, something like that, that are all me playing cello repertoire (laughs) and people love it. And people ask me to keep recording more, but I'm kind of like, that's a lot of cello music. And I would love to be showing some other instruments, some other repertoire. So that's really where I'm taking the YouTube channel now is I'm constantly scouting, looking around, online or by word of mouth about people especially playing on historical instruments but even people just playing classical music who are excited and want to get themselves out there more trying to find more people um, to feature on my youtube channel is really the big project of this year yes Um, and and get more people growing their youtube channel so that i don't become you know one of the only early music channels on youtube you know so that it's something where there's a lot of resources for people um, when they're when they go looking for it or searching for something yes oh that sounds great and I think it's I think it's so wonderful as well that actually there seems to be a correlation between young people really seem to like early music you know whether that's listening to that or lots of young people are actually you know taking up historical performance and you know I don't know really what the reason for that is I don't know but um I just think it's so fascinating I mean do you have an opinion on that or I think it's just becoming I wouldn't call it normalized yet it's still very niche but it is becoming more of an option to people because you know more at least here in the states more colleges and universities are offering programs or at least specialized ensembles with historical instruments because the interest is there. And as the interest grows, it just becomes a little bit more common. And like I said, I've done demos in public schools. Some kid in a seventh grade class who would have doesn't know anything about classical music could see me come in and do a demo and learn, wow, there's this whole other world of classical music with these different instruments. It's just becoming something that's getting a little bit more integrated into our understanding of classical music and therefore it gives the option for people to connect with it and say, wow, I didn't think I liked classical music, but when I heard this piece on this instrument, it actually really spoke to me and now I'm interested. So I think it's just about it becoming a little bit more normalized so that if people know, musicians know that it's an option if they want to study and learn more about that. And is it, is it still quite a, a new area in the U S the whole early music movement? Because here in Britain, I mean, it's been established for, years and years and years obviously because of the the cultural heritage the composers from Europe yeah absolutely and I I guess I should have acknowledged that but of course you know all this music being European history the Europeans do it much better than us over here well (laughs) no not necessarily behind Um, I mean I would say you know we had 
it's considered the early music revival, I guess, and it was considered in the 1980s when stuff, when it even became something that could be done, you know, trying to play more historically. But um, I would say here in the States, it's probably within the last five years when Juilliard first started a historical performance program, which is in the last decade, that changed a lot because Juilliard is a major institution here in the States for classical music. It sets a lot of precedence for what's expected of classical music here in America. So when they started offering historical performance, I think that kind of announced, okay, this is becoming legitimate. This isn't just something that a couple, I mean, it's still only a few schools will offer it as a degree. You know, some just have a a couple classes you can take. Um, And most of them are still only master's degrees. There are no undergraduate bachelor's degrees. I mean, there are a couple, but um, it's still it's still slowly working its way in, but it's absolutely been growing, especially the last five to 10 years. Um, so I'm excited about the future of it here. But yeah, we are we are a little behind Europe here. Oh, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that. I mean, you know, just just judging by, you know, the quality of the, um, you know, the historical performance faculty, I've seen some of their videos on YouTube and the caliber of the musicians that they produce is just outstanding and I mean they're so they're so proficient in in that whole style of playing and you know it's amazing that they come onto this program for two years and then they just you know (laughs) it's quite remarkable yeah it's definitely very intense at least I know my master's was like I said it's not only the performance aspect but so much actual library time of studying treatises okay about ornaments and exercises you know there's a lot to delve into and you can do it in a two-year program but it's going to be intense I think that's what most people's experience like a full immersion you know into the 17th and 18th centuries but by the time you get out of that immersion you have a pretty good understanding I can imagine yes so um I'm going to give you one book a piece of music or a song that you could listen to for the rest of your life or a recording and a luxury item. So what would you choose? So I get to choose one out of, I just, one out of those various categories? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, I I would say um, I'm going to be a stereotypical cellist and I'm going to choose a Bach cello suite because that is timeless music oh wonderful Um, it's the kind of music I always say with Bach he as you grow and mature so does your understanding and appreciation of his music you know it's really hard to outgrow Bach I don't think anyone can yes so I I think for me it would be Bach's fourth cello suite in E-flat is my favorite it's one of it's probably the least popular of the six cello suites which is probably why it's my favorite um hasn't gotten too overplayed. And again, because Bach is just the gift that keeps on giving, I think I could listen to that for the rest of my life and always find something new to appreciate about it. Yes. Any particular recording or? Well, I mentioned my teacher, Phoebe Karai, before, and her Bach recordings are my favorite. So I would say Phoebe's recording of the fourth Bach cello suite would be my my desert island correct yes 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 I don't know if I have a if I have a book answer um you know I will say and this is a little bit offbeat but you'll know this um Quance is on playing the flute which is a very popular baroque treatise um 
which sounds like it's about playing the flute, which it is, but it also has some really great and interesting pointers on playing continuo and playing bass lines or basso continuo is really what I loved playing the Baroque cello for, is playing continuo. And that was the first treatise that I read anything about continuo playing in. Um, and there's some really good pointers in there. And it's been a long time since I read it. So now that I've mentioned it, I feel like I want to revisit it. But um, Quance's On Playing the Flute is a really wonderful historical treatise with things for more than just flute playing. Yeah, it's a great book. Ooh, a luxury item. I would probably bring a really good set. I would bring good headphones. I have like a, a pair of Beats that are wire, wireless headphones change my life. Like being able to put music on in headphones and not be chained to one specific spot. It's just, it really allows you to enjoy the music a lot more, I've found. So, sounds like a simple design, but um, definitely a good pair of headphones. You can really lose yourself in the music that way, which I love. Is there anything else that you'd you'd like to, to say before um, we wrap things up? Or Well, we covered a lot. I think just for anyone who's new to the idea of historical performance, but is interested in classical music, I just so encourage people to find um, a recording that's with a historical orchestra or something like that to of one of maybe your favorite pieces, but hear it done in a more historical way and, and see how you feel about it, because I think it really opens up a new world for a lot of people. Oh, thank you so much, Emily. That's, that's great advice. And um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you.